Hey everybody, love telling you about my friends at Boyer's Coffee. They've been an institution in our great state since 1965. And I get my coffee, I always tell you from Boyer's Coffee, and you can reach them at boyerscoffee.com. I get it delivered right to my front door. In fact, I made a nice order um, this morning. But we're in the holiday season. And I'm terrible about this, but you all are probably better. And that's putting a list together and making sure you're knocking off the list of gifts you have to get for various people. Well, let me and let, more importantly, Boyers help you make this season much easier. You can send a gift of Boyers Coffee by going to boyerscoffee.com. They'll put a bow on it and they'll ship it to a, a close friend, a co-worker, um, you know, a, a distant friend maybe that you haven't seen in a while. Anybody on your holiday list, you can get them a wonderful gift from Boyers just by getting on boyerscoffee.com. They'll put a bow on it and they'll send it right to the address uh, that you request. What could be easier than that? And you can just uh, then uh, knock it off your to-do list for holiday gifts. It's boyerscoffee.com. Divorce is not fun. Difficult time, emotional time, uncertain time. Been there. You need guidance. You need counsel. You need accurate information and great professionalism and understanding. And you'll find it without question at one of the top family law firms in the region in Cox, Baker and Page. That's Cox, Baker and Page. They've been recognized in a number of publications for their excellent work in the area of family law. They're compassionate and thorough in guiding you through a tumultuous period. Their work has been routinely recognized for its excellence. U.S. News and World Report, for instance, consistently award Laura Page and Mary Cox best lawyer distinctions. If you or someone you know is looking for counsel, reach them at coxbakerandpage.com. That's coxbakerandpage.com. Mention you heard it from me and receive a discount on your initial consultation. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, former Denver Bronco and CSU Ram Joel Dreesen talking about playing with Peyton Manning. He was a fun guy to hang out with. He, there was no entitlement, and he took care of us. Whether he, he made sure we went went to team dinners, he's just everything he's cracked up to be and then some. And some frank talk about the current state of affairs for CSU football. This is a podcast. I can cuss, right? Sure, absolutely. Beautiful thing about it. <laughs> also, Drew has some thoughts on the world. World Series. The 0-2. Left side, Swanson. To first. The Browns are world champions. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. We are off and running. Welcome in to the Drew Goodman Podcast, show number 121. And we thank you for uh, being loyal listeners and passing uh, the good word about what we do here on the podcast. Just got back from uh, back east. It was uh, wonderful to be in uh, the city, and the city being New York, for several days. And then got to see um, some relatives up in uh, Westchester County. Then I made my way down to uh, see a buddy and his family in Richmond, Virginia. And got to see all the leaves turned down there. And then a couple of days to see some friends in Washington as well. So uh, it was nice to uh, kind of run up and down the uh, the northeast uh, and down through the mid-Atlantic region. Get some time in the car. You know, when you when you spend time on the road, and it's about six hours from New York down to Richmond. And then north a couple hours uh, to D.C. Uh, 
you get some good high quality thinking done. And I got to also listen to some, you know, play by play along the way. At one point, I was catching some of the World Series uh, while I was driving. We'll talk World Series here in a moment. But speaking of baseball, quick reminder to join Patrick Lyons and the uh, DNVR crew uh, Monday through Friday. They have a, a terrific podcast. I jump on uh, at least once a week with uh, with Patrick, and we talk baseball. We talk Rockies specifically. And again, they have a whole host of uh, uh, DNVR podcasts for everything sports-related in Denver, in Colorado, and the region. So there's uh, the plug for that. All right, to the World Series. Congratulations to the Atlanta Braves. A little anticlimactic in Game 6. I was on with Patrick, speaking of uh, DNVR, yesterday before the ball game. And uh, we're taping on a Wednesday. And I said, you know, it just has this feeling that it's going to go seven games, right? You're you're back in Houston. Houston, uh, for what it's worth, a little bit of momentum after the big come-from-behind win in Game 5. Well, it, it didn't work out that way. Max Fried was terrific. Six shutout innings. Tyler Matzik, what a beautiful story he is. Uh, two more dominant innings. And then Will Smith, who didn't give up a run uh, in the World Series, closes it out. Uh, home runs. First from Jorge Soler. That should have counted twice. It was a three-run home run. He hit it over the railroad tracks, for goodness sake. Uh, Freddie Freeman hit one. Dansby Swanson, who's the Atlanta native, hit one. Uh, It was Atlanta's year, and good for them. Good for them. I was thrilled, and I, and I, I didn't have a dog in the hunt. Because uh, I'm a big Dusty Baker fan also. But I've I've gotten to know just a little bit Brian Snitker. And I know Walt Weiss really well. Walt's a friend. And he's always raved about the quality of human being that Brian Snitker is. I think more people know how high quality a person Dusty Baker is. Because Dusty's been on the landscape at, at the highest level for so many years. Brian Snitker was this... Yeah, was this guy who worked in the Braves organization for more than 40 years and, and a few years ago elevated probably out of nowhere for most people to the manager's spot with Atlanta. His players adore him. They fight hard for him. Uh, they were thrilled to win for him. So his story is a marvelous one. And that's one of the things that happens when you win a championship in any sport, stories become amplified. And in the case of Brian Snitker, we learned how Henry Aaron, appropriately the Braves win it, and, and Henry Aaron, uh, in, the, in the year that we, we lose the great Henry Aaron. But Henry Aaron's the reason that Brian Snitker, ultimately, is probably on the top step of that dugout and is a world champion. Because when Brian Snitker, as he described himself, was not a very good player, uh, was tapped on the shoulder by Henry Aaron and said, I want to keep you in uniform. I want you to work for us. There were a couple of guys that that he asked to, to stay in uniform and help begin their coaching career. Cito Gaston was the other one. Yes, that same Cito Gaston that ultimately uh, was the manager for the world championship teams in Toronto in 92 and 93. So you, you, when you hear... Guys like Brian Snitker talk, you, you learn a lot more about how great Henry Aaron was, not only as a player, that's obvious, but as a front office executive and, and just a humanitarian. So good for Brian Snitker. But I was especially pleased as well for Walt Weiss. Um, I adore Walt. 
I was pleased for Eric Young Sr. Eric EY's great. Um, ties to the Rockies and, and the Tyler Matzik story. First on Wall, there are two job openings as we speak still for managers in baseball. Oakland just became available with Bob Melvin being allowed to interview and, and take the job in San Diego. And the New York Mets are looking for a manager. Well, Walt would be a great fit in either place. Walt is from Suffern, New York. That's in Rockland County, which is a you know bedroom community uh, to New York. So, uh, you know, he was raised there. He's a New Yorker, even though he remains uh, a Coloradan and that he's lived here for years and years. And, of course, with Oakland, he came up with Oakland, was a rookie of the year in an Oakland uniform, was a first-round pick out of the University of North Carolina by Oakland. So he has ties to both. And I hope he gets one of those gigs. I could care less which one it is, but he deserves another opportunity to manage. And I have my fingers crossed that that Walt, um, I, I think he'll get an interview. I'd be shocked if he didn't. Uh, but I, I, I really hope he gets one of those jobs. And it, and it also shows you that old school guys, and I know that's such a overused term, can do just fine in the modern world of baseball, that they're sharp enough to embrace analytics and also understand the human condition and managing, coaching, being a mentor to players that are much younger than them. We saw it in the World Series. The aforementioned Brian Snitker is 66. The great Dusty Baker is 72. So you don't have to necessarily be the the 35-year-old that grew up only knowing the analytics side. And so that's why I hope Walt, who's still very young, uh, will get an opportunity. EY, thrilled for for EY. He's been in the game for so long, not only after a really fine uh, big league career, but as a coach uh, as well. And Tyler Matzik, we're going to get Matzik on. I'll share with you a, a, a quick conversation I had. It was a, actually a lengthy conversation with Tyler Matzik, but he went through um, for me, you know, all of the trials and, and the and the work he did and the painstaking process that it was for him to get back to the big leagues after he got the yips and couldn't throw the ball anywhere near the plate. And, and it derailed a promising career with the Rockies. Uh, he, he was out of baseball, and then he was in independent baseball, and he worked his way back. And now you look at him as one of the elite setup men in all of baseball, and he could close. I mean, he touched 100 miles an hour the other day and, and the wicked slider. And it's a great story, man. It's not dissimilar... To Daniel Bard. And and when we had that conversation when the Braves were in town sitting in the dugout, um, I asked him, you know, would you like to, when the season's over, come on the podcast and tell your story? And he said emphatically, absolutely. Uh, other people need to hear because so many other players, not just uber-talented players like a Matzik or a Bard who are applying their craft at the highest level, but young kids from a confidence standpoint, from an overcoming standpoint, he wants to share the story and the process that he went through. So we're going to get him on uh, a future podcast. Now he's a a world champion. So for those three guys in particular with Atlanta, I was um, particularly pleased. 
Some notes on the World Series. We are in the home run era. And I, and I guess we've been there, you know, before, certainly in the 90s during the, you know, performance enhancing drug <laughs> um, part of baseball. We were there. But um, Atlanta out homered Houston and that wonderful lineup that Houston presents 11 to 2 in winning four games to two. Do you know the first time that Atlanta was over 500? You probably caught this because it was part of the narrative from a broadcaster standpoint and, and you know, from a print standpoint in the folks that covered the World Series. The first day that the Atlanta Braves in 2021 were over 500 was August the 6th. Amazing. And they finished strong to get to 88 wins, which was the fewest amount of wins for any team in the playoff field. In fact, they had the 12th most wins, which is pretty middle of the road. There's 30 teams in baseball. The 12th most wins in all of baseball this year. It, again, supports the argument it's all about getting in the tournament and you never know what will happen, especially in the sport of baseball. Um, I, I know for the Rockies, we all understand they've never won the division. They came the closest in 2018, finishing a dead heat with the Dodgers, and then losing L.A. in the game 163. But the Rockies have been to a World Series when they were a wild card. Just get in. Just get in, and you never know. One other note on this uh, championship for Atlanta it's the fewest amount of wins, we're talking about wins, the fewest amount of wins for a world champion, the 88 wins, since the 06 Cardinals were world champs in a season or a regular season in which they went 83-79. and 79. Again, another uh, illustration of it's all about getting in. You get in and you have a chance to win it all. We're going to get to Joel Dreesen here in, uh, in a moment. Looking forward to... Uh, uh, you hearing that conversation. Uh, but uh, first, I wanted to sound off a little bit on the Von Miller trade. Uh, Von Miller is a Denver and Colorado sports icon. He will be a Ring of Famer, naturally. He will be a Hall of Famer. He's been great for a good period of time. I thought the Broncos did exceptionally well to get a second and third round pick for him. And I also think it was the absolute right move. The Broncos are not going anywhere this year. Four and four record as we speak right now. They've been disappointing to this point. That doesn't mean they can't be much better in the second half. And, and who knows if the planets align, maybe eke into the playoffs. I don't see that. They have issues offensively. They've had issues up front. They've not been as dominant defensively as I thought they would be. Uh, but all of that aside, Von Miller is well into the back nine of his career. And that's okay. That's not a slap at him. He's had a, a great career. To get a second and third round pick for an aging superstar is outstanding. And for those that want to see a guy like Von Miller never wear another uniform. Just as I said with Nolan Arenado, 
just as we'll be saying with Trevor's story in, in all likelihood. Those are unrealistic expectations in the landscape of professional sports today. I know Todd Helton spent his whole career here. I know John Elway spent his whole career here. But you know what? The next guy who was the quarterback for the Broncos that, that took him to a couple of Super Bowls and, and ultimately their last title, you think the Colts and the Indy fans ever thought Peyton Manning would not wear their jersey and the horseshoe on the side of the helmet? would be unthinkable. But guess what? He did. That's professional sports. And in this case, good for the Broncos. They took care of Von Miller. He's going to have an opportunity uh, to, to play for a great team. Looks, they look like a great team right now in the L.A. Rams. And the Broncos get value back, a second and third round pick, as they try to um, continue to upgrade their roster. So uh, I, I thought it was a really good move. I thought it was a really good move. All right. We're going to continue to talk football. We're going to continue to talk uh, about the Broncos. We're going to talk about Colorado State football. And you're going to hear some uh, entertaining Peyton Manning stories with the former Bronco tight end, the former CSU Ram tight end, and also a New York Jet and Houston Texan, Joel Dreesen. It's our Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week. You know what, it's always good to hook up with uh, someone that you haven't seen in quite some time and, uh, you know, admired from afar. We don't know each other exceptionally well, but uh, Joel, I was always a big fan, especially uh, when you played at Colorado State. I don't know if you remember this, but I probably told you at some point in time, I got my start in the late 80s doing Colorado State and football and basketball, so I always pull really hard for the Rams. And so those guys that, you know, play well for the Rams and are fortunate like yourself to move on to NFL careers, I, I've always paid particularly close attention to. So we'll get into the Rams a little bit, but first and foremost, how you doing, man? Hey, life is good. I, uh, I'm, I'm feeling good, as, as good as I possibly can be. And, uh, have, have a young son at 11 years old and a daughter at nine. So I spend a lot of time running around with them and, uh, I, I have no complaints at the moment, Drew. I, I appreciate you including me. Is your 11-year-old son, is he playing ball, and is he a tight end size yet? <laughs> He's tall. He's tall for his age, and we are in the midst of our flag football season, right? This weekend is our tournament. We're the, we're the number three seed. He's in sixth grade, and we're, we're – this Saturday is right is our single elimination tournament. So our only two losses are to the number one and two seeds. So we have our work cut out for us. That'll be the second time playing these these guys. So my son, he's already super excited. He, he came home yesterday and he goes, Dad, I think we can win the whole dang thing again if we just play a little bit better. I'm like, you're right, buddy. Just keep believing that. Make your teammates believe that. So, uh, yeah, he's he, football is in his blood for sure. Um, did he say and. In- Dad, we're going to have to step it up coaching-wise also. Did he mention that at all? Hey, Drew, you know what I did? I said, hey, what can I do from a coaching perspective? What gives us a, the best chance to win against these these other kids, these bigger kids? And he struggled to give me specifics. He's like, well, if we run crisper routes and play better in our man coverage defense. I'm like, okay. Well, I'd like to give you some technique t- tips going into this game so that you can go perform them in the game and, and make those two things easier. And then and then he's like, all right, all right, well, well, you come up with those and we'll install them in practice on Thursday. So <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling right now to come up with some technique tips because these kids that we're playing are, are a little bit taller than us, right? My team's mostly full of 11-year-olds and these two teams that uh, – that, that beat us, they're, they're full of 12- and 13-year-olds. So we've got a little bit of an age gap to deal with. 
Um, I'm sure you'll coach him up well, and it sounds like he already speaks the language of the sport very well. Yeah, he does, and he loves NFL Sunday. Like we have a couple fantasy teams that we manage together, and then we're in a pick and pull too. So uh, we are we are definitely a football family on Sundays. I'm going to let you reminisce for a moment. So I'm going to take you back. I know you were, you were born in Iowa, and you, you correct me if I'm wrong. You, you grew up in Fort Morgan. I know you went to high school in Fort Morgan. Is that accurate? Yeah, I moved to Fort Morgan when I was just three years old. So pretty much raised in Eastern Colorado. What is it about Fort Morgan and tight ends, man? There's another pretty darn good one up in Fort Collins right now by the name of Trey McBride. Trey is he's way better than I ever was. I, I he you know what when he taught, told me that he was going back to CSU, I was like, man, I, I really don't know if another year of playing Mountain West football will help your draft status. But it has it, it has solidified him as the best tight end. In, in college football, in my opinion, the kid does it all. He, he puts his hand in the dirt. He blocks. He's super strong. He plays with great effort and finish. And then he runs great routes. He can run. He's fast. And he catches everything. I'm telling you, Drew, his hands are like like catcher's net. I call him mini Gronk, right? He, he's got these big old hands, and he's super athletic and catches everything. I, uh, I'm i proud that to know Trey McBride. Uh, we've worked together a little bit these last couple off seasons. And I just appreciate him a lot for, for him including me in some of his training. And, man, I don't know what it is about Fort Morgan, but we, we got some – hey, that's between myself, Seth Jensen – or uh, Ryan Jensen, right, starting center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He came from Fort Morgan as well. And then Trey McBride, Dalton Reisner. Morgan County is spewing out some NFL talent, Drew. Well, uh, let's not forget Trey's brother because Trey's brother is a heck of a defensive line. He's dealt with a lot of injuries, but he's a he's a darn good college football player, also. Yeah, he really is, and those guys are just they're cut from the right claws, right? They work hard, they they play with the right enthusiasm and effort and, and passion. Uh, I love Toby McBride too. He he, both those boys are the are the face of Colorado State football right now, and. The, they're the exact type of guy that you want to be representing your program. Hey, since we went down this path, and I did want to talk to you about Trey. I'll tell you a quick story. I was I had Colorado State several times a couple of years ago on television. And uh, one time, the first time I saw McBride, he was a freshman. He was a true freshman. And um, they're running around. It's walkthrough day, but they're doing some other things. Uh, Coach Bobo was up there at the time. And I'm watching this kid. Physically, not only did he look the part, um, but, you know, tight ends, you don't usually, they're not going to jump out at you from an athletic standpoint, and he really jumped out. I mean, he. The, how about last week? I know you watched the game. I mean, he hurled the guy after, you know, catching a little stick route. He, he's remarkably athletic. Yeah, just really fluid as an athlete, right? Spend a little bit of time. I, I, I describe tight ends that I work with. Sometimes I work with uh, tight ends over at Landau Performance, right? Lauren Landau, he has, has a gym here in, in Centennial. And so, you know, throughout the combine prep and, and off season, right, these guys will come down and they I, I give them a little bit of one-on-one tight end training. So the best way to describe a tight end is if he folds up really well. Can he fold up really well with the proper knee bend, ankle bend, right? Because essentially that's how you want to fold up into a stance with knee bend and ankle bend, not waist bend. Trey has, has has all of that. He folds up beautifully, and you can see it when he runs, how graceful he is. Like, take Christian McCaffrey, for example, right? He's one of the most graceful, beautiful, mechanically sound sprinters there is. And I see a lot of, of that in Trey at, you know, 250 pounds. So just a, a very smooth athlete, 
based on his flexibility and and really strong too just just super strong uh grip strength the kid is is put together if i was if i was an nfl club i would have him as the number one tight end on my board for sure yeah he's 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 got it we'll see how you know tight ends it's funny position right now but he he's going to go very high in the draft than he ought to somebody's going to get a heck of a player um, bias aside, he he is he looks like he's the full package. All right, well, we're talking about Colorado State. It pains me, so I can't imagine what it does to you because you're you're an alum. Um, you're one of the great players to come out of that university. I was thrilled when they built Canvas Stadium. I think it's a spectacular facility, um, a spectacular home for the football program inside, which many people don't get to see. Um, and and I, I really thought it was going to be a springboard, Joel, you know where I'm going with this, for great things to happen on the field and, and really put Colorado State in a position where they could potentially, if somebody came calling, move to the Power Five. Why are they where they are right now? And I know that's a difficult question. It is a difficult question to answer because obviously I care a lot about Mike Bobo and Joe Parker. I, I like those guys a lot. I, I want good things to happen to them. But for whatever reason, when McElwain moved on and, you know, Tony Frank fired Jack Graham and, and Joe Parker comes in, there's there's some, some sort of disconnect between the quality and caliber of athlete that we're getting, right? There's no more excuses. You know, Sonny used to say this all the time. He said, hey, I can't keep making chicken salad out of it. This is a podcast. I can cuss, right? Sure, absolutely. Beautiful thing about it. <laughs> keep making chicken salad out of chicken shit. At some point, you guys have to give me some money and give me some facilities to keep up with the BYUs, the Utahs of the world, um, the Boise States of the world. And it's like, oh, okay, Sonny, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Well, eventually it did catch up to Sonny, right? And we couldn't recruit the type of athlete that was attracted by fancy new uniforms and fancy new weight rooms and, and stadiums, right? And so Sonny started losing ball games, and essentially they, they asked him to resign, right? Okay, in comes McElwain and Jack Graham, and they have this vision of building this on-campus stadium, and, and McElwain makes it, you know, we win 10 games in 2014, and everybody's flying high. We're building a new stadium. Everything is great. But somewhere along the line between the transition to a different coach and a different athletic director, we forgot or lost sight of that the product on the field was the most important thing, right? Not the stadium, not not the weight room, not all that stuff. So now that we have all those things, we we should be getting the the, the kind of athletes that that build a Power Five program, but we're not. And I, I don't I don't know I don't want to point a finger at anybody. I don't want to say, hey, Mike Bobo, he recruited too much in the southeastern or southeastern region of the country, right? He needs to be focused on Colorado, Texas, you know, California, that type of thing. I don't know. But these kids came to Colorado State in this brand-new stadium, and they didn't play with a lot of heart and enthusiasm. And, you know, that for the longest time, the M.O. on the Colorado State Rams for the past five, six years has been get them to the third quarter, and they're going to find a way to mess it up. And that's held true this year, too, where they just have these atrocious third quarters, and they get behind – after playing great first half, and it's like a new team comes out after halftime. So I think the quality of of the student athlete um, is is the issue right now. We need more Trey McBrides and and fewer. Of, I, I don't know what we need fewer of, right? I don't want to name names, but uh, we need more Trey and Toby McBride types, these guys who love football and have a true passion and desire to to make Colorado State better, um, because ultimately. 
what puts fans in the stands is the product on the field. Hey, they're, they're sitting in a nice stadium, but you can, you don't want to sit in the nicest college stadium in the Mountain West and watch your team get smacked by three touchdowns every game. No, it's been it's been disappointing to say the least. And you know, last week against Boise, it reminded me it, it, somewhat similar to the game a few years ago when Colorado State was up twice by four touchdowns, and and you know you got to close that deal. My goodness! And then this week. You know, I think up by 11 on a couple of occasions. And it's the same old thing, especially against uh, quote-unquote rival opponents. Boise State, they've never beaten. And Air Force in Wyoming, the last bunch of years, they, the Colorado State finally beat Wyoming last year. But, I mean, it's been ages uh, since they've been able to to win games against, uh, you know, their two big rivals on, on the front range. And I don't know what has to change, but um, something does, clearly. Yeah, these rival games have got to take precedence. They just have to be a priority. And and I, I think Coach Adazio is doing a great job of that. I, I think they know the urgency this week playing Wyoming for that bronze boot. Like, they tasted that last year. It, it made me so happy to watch those McBride brothers sprint across Kansas Stadium last year and snatch that boot back from Wyoming after being in Laramie for five years, right? So it, uh, it, it's important that that boot stays in, in Fort Collins. I want to I take you now to your, your NFL Career, you get drafted by the Jets in the sixth round back in 2005. Was there a point in time? I talk about this, Joel, all the time with a baseball player who you know you you know you know baseball. And you have to go through the minor leagues and you get to the big leagues, and 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 for virtually everyone, there's that moment where you say, you know what, I belong. I can play at this level. What was the moment for you, or, or was there never a doubt when you got drafted, you would say, I don't care where I was drafted, I'm going to show I'm an NFL player? Well, you know, my senior year at Colorado State was somewhat disappointing. We were 4-7, and seven, right? But I was like, oh, okay, you know, everyone says I'm an NFL caliber player. I'm going to the NFL. Draft day was a little bit disappointed, didn't end up getting drafted to the sixth round. And, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round guys get cut all the time. So the draft day was somewhat of a, like a shock to my confidence from, you know, being a guy who I thought was, you know, going to be third, fourth round pick, you know, at least secured financially for, for one or two seasons where the team couldn't move on from you. But uh, being a sixth round pick, I was like, okay, I got to go earn this deal now. And I actually had a very solid training camp my rookie year. I, I uh, improved drastically in between every single practice. But one thing that I didn't prepare for in the NFL was the, the, the sports psychology aspect to it, right? So I, I was scared to play almost, Drew. Like, don't get me wrong. I played in 14 games as a rookie. I would get, you know, 20, 30 plays a game on offense and play on all the special teams. But our starting tight end got hurt about halfway through the season. And, and I should have just taken that starting tight end role and, 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 and just ran with it. Instead, I was, I was like almost scared. You know, my, when my number was called in the huddle, I remember, you know, my palms would get sweaty, my heart rate would pick up. I just wasn't prepared to be a pro to go out there and make plays. And so I honestly don't think I had that moment where, like, hey, I'm going to be an NFL player. I belong till I moved on to the Houston Texans in 2007. And so I played in 2005 as a rookie. 2006, I get cut after training camp from by Eric Mangini, right? And um, just a, a huge – blow to the confidence, right? Do do I belong? Am I going to be an NFL player? And and for me, it was a valuable lesson God was teaching me in humility. And essentially, I, I rededicated my life, right? Been like, hey, I, I need to make this work. So moved to Houston, changed my diet, changed my routines, break up with my girlfriend. Football is the only thing that matters for me. 
and that I go and make that team in 2007, and then all of a sudden now I'm a consistent contributor. I have a I have a uniform on game day, and now I'm making plays on offense. I'm not scared anymore, right? I, I, I expect myself to go make the play, go make the tough catch, go make the tough block. And so I, really it, I was like a, a slow blossomer into my pro career. It wasn't until my, you know, Third, third year in the NFL, I'm like, okay, I belong, I can do this, I'm going to carve out a career for myself. We'll take a quick time out and then more with former Bronco tight end Joel Dreesen. But first this, for my friends at Ideal Home Loans. They've been in business for more than 20 years. I tell you every week, and Brent Ivinson not only has thrived here in the state of Colorado, they've expanded down to Arizona. I know a lot of Coloradans have homes uh, in Arizona or investment properties uh, down there. So if you are refinancing or if you're in line for a new mortgage, look no further than the good people at Ideal Home Loans. And the way to reach them, pick up the phone, 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. Listen, we understand that the, the mortgage business is a very competitive one. Well, they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They have a ton, and I mean a ton, of repeat business through the years because of how well they have served the customer. It comes down to that. Everything's about relationships, right? And when you build a solid relationship, and that's what's most important to the folks at Ideal Home Loans, you're going to get repeat customers. You're going to get referrals. And that is what they have built their business on. Again, Brent Ivinson started this company in Colorado more than 20 years ago. And uh, I'm proud not only to call him a, a friend and a business associate, but uh, a guy that uh, I've come to trust for my own loans with homes. 303-867-7000 is the number. Brent Ivinson's team, Ideal Home Loans. Been traveling around back east and, you know, leaves are everywhere. In fact, the leaves are still uh, pretty secure on the tree. It's like a late autumn back in the northeast and, and somewhat the same here. But you know they're all going to fall. How do you handle them? With one of the great blowers from Steel. S-T-I-H-L. That's uh, steeldealers.com. If you're looking for your local dealer, they're one right around the corner. I guarantee you there's one right around the corner because they have over 10,000 around the country. But um, here's the thing about Steel products. Go check them out at steelusa.com. Again, S-T-I-H-L-U-S-A.com. You are going to have a heyday. There are blowers, there are trimmers, there's every kind of chainsaw imaginable. And they have electric, they have gas naturally, and they also have battery powered. I've told you before, I, I have a bunch of battery powered equipment from steel. They last forever. And it's neat when you have a job to do, boom, you just go out and, and you're trimming up something in the back or you're blowing the leaves, you know, off the lawn so you can pile them uh, and get them out to the to the front. It makes everything you do around your yard easier. SteelDealers.com is where you'll find your dealer. And SteelUSA is where you can uh, look at all of their wonderful products. S-T-I-H-L, SteelDealers.com. Now more with Joel Dreesen. What did it mean um, for you to come to Denver and it's almost a twofold thing, Joel. You come back home, number one, and oh, by the way, there is 
an all-time great. And I don't mean, you know, hey, he's a top 50. You're talking about one of the two or three greatest quarterbacks of all time kind of waiting to throw you the football. Take us through your emotions when you realize you're going to be a Bronco. Oh, it was wild. It was so wild. So finally, after I had signed a second contract with the Texans, okay, so I played a, a second contract with the Texans. Now I'm finally, I'm I'm 30 years old, right, or I'm 29. I'm going to be 30, and I'm finally an unrestricted free agent. So my age was kind of hurting me, but I needed to go, I needed to go get paid because I hadn't been, like, paid, paid my whole career. And I did not want to leave Houston. I We had just built that thing from 2007. We finally won the division in 2011, had a winning record, won a playoff game. It was incredible. I loved my coach, Gary Kubiak. I loved the guys I was playing with. I did not want to leave Houston. Okay, Denver calls up. John Elway says, hey, we got this deal here. We're going to sign you and Jacob Tammy. What do you think? They fly me in. I take a physical. And Mike McCoy, the offensive coordinator at the time, Totally freaks me out sitting in his office. I did not want to learn a new offense. I didn't want to. It was basically like learning a new language. I'm like, screw this, man. I, I'm going to go back to Houston where I know this offense inside and out. I'm capable of making plays. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't care if they had Peyton Manning. How stupid does that sound now? Right? So I, I tell Denver no. I'm on an airplane back to Houston. I land in Houston, and Elway's like, hey. Will more money change your mind? I'm like, that helps. That's a good start. So they throw a little more cash my way, and then it was a done deal. By then, then I'm coming back to Houston. I mean, coming back to Denver, and uh, and Peyton's blowing me up right away. Hey, when you coming to town? When you when we're doing this? And he included me with everything, right? He included me with the design of the offense, the verbiage, the language. So me and him, we were like learning all this new system together, and it was it was really incredible. And all I cared about was, was playing football. I was I put a lot of pressure on myself because I seen free agents sign with other teams and fizzle out, right? Like that's the last thing I ever wanted to be. I wanted to be a guy who who played up to the potential of his contract. So it was very important for me to to come back to Denver and be a solid contributor and, and be a reason why we won ball games. And you know, God willing, we, we had an incredible year that first year in 2012, and it was. Uh, it was amazing. It was like there just aren't words for it. I mean, obviously we we blew that game in the playoffs versus the Ravens for multiple reasons, but uh, to be able to come back to Colorado and have Peyton Manning running our offense and me playing tight end, it was uh, it was a dream come true. It's not something that really hits you in the moment, but now that I've had you know six, seven, eight years to reflect on it, I I'm so grateful it worked out that way. Dan, you had a terrific year in in 2012. I think you were in the end zone you know, five times, 40-plus catches, and, and you and Tammy certainly, you know, made up one of the better duos, tight end duos in, in the NFL that year. You, you heard from afar what Peyton was all about, meticulous in his preparation, in his study habits, um, and, and work beyond practice, clearly. When you were finally there, what stands out as to why this cat was different? Well, first of all, the arm talent, right? It, he, he was so sound mechanically from his feet up. Every throw started from the ground, his footwork, right? So this was a guy who, who didn't have the most naturally gifted, strong rocket John Elway type arm, right? He was a Nazi about his mechanics as far as stepping into his throw, ro rotational power, rotating his body. So I, I appreciated that he was an absolute technician with his craft from the beginning. Um, and then to top it all off, how he was able to keep everything organized in his head the way he was, 
Uh, he knew the offense inside and out, right? There wasn't anything a defense could ever show him that he hadn't seen a million times on film or in person. So he would get us into the perfect play. He'd get it communicated to the offensive line. He'd get it communicated to the wideouts, the running backs, the tight ends, all while the, 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 the play clock is ticking down, ticking down, ticking down, and he's doing dummy cadences this whole time. And the dude is just like a machine, right, just a machine. I, I don't know how he was capable of keeping it all organized in his mind and with his body. And then to top it all off, the guy's the definition of humility, right? He's multiple uh, league MVP, okay, Super Bowl winner, commercials every which way you look, but he doesn't act like that guy. He acts like he's, you know, another Joel Dreesen right there in the tight end room right next to you. He's he was a fun guy to hang out with. He, there was no entitlement, and he took care of us, whether he, he made sure we went went to team dinners together on, on Friday nights when we'd travel or Saturday nights. Like, um, he's just everything he's cracked up to be and then some. He, he, is, he is legit funny, too, isn't he? I mean, there's some guys that you, you hear them deliver a line occasionally, um, but the people I know that have been around him um, – for a period of time and and are in his quote-unquote inner circle, they say, no, this dude is straight funny. He's very witty. Yeah, like, <laughs> his one-liner is like, you didn't know sometimes you're going to be the butt of it. And, like, you know, the whole the whole table at lunch would be laughing at you because of something that he said, and you just kind of had to take it. And every now and then I was able to give it back to him, and I think he appreciated that a little bit. But, uh, yeah, just a great personality to be around, right? Like a guy who's been – exposed to, to so many different things in his lifetime. He's been around a ton of famous people, has all kinds of hilarious stories about uh, famous people. And it, he's just a great guy to talk to, for sure. Uh, were you, this sounds strange, because you, you had, you know, through your Houston years, certainly, as, you, as we were talking about, established yourself as a bona fide, you know, very solid NFL pro, and, and you're embarking on your 30th birthday. And, and the first time you are with Peyton, were you nervous? Wait, the first the first interaction? Oh, Drew, that first game we played against the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? We opened up on Sunday night football. We're at home versus the Steelers, and they got James Harrison. And they had two absolute creatures on the edge, right? And that was my job. And I'm like, I'm like walking into the stadium that day. I'm like, oh, my gosh. If I don't hold up in pass pro against one of these guys and they blindside Peyton Manning, what if I re-injure this man? What if I re-injure the greatest quarterback of all time by not blocking these guys? So I I played with a lot of fear that year, and I actually ended up having a, a, a really solid season in pass protection and on the line of scrimmage because I was determined not to let my guy even you know breathe on Peyton Manning. Yeah, uh, and that's almost – I don't want to say it's a, a lost art for the tight end. There's so many move and stem tight ends now. Uh, just by formation, uh, that you know, when you find an inline guy that can hold up and pass pro, that that's huge. I'm sure that's one of the things you teach when when you're uh, at Landau's facility. Yeah, it is, and uh, there's just a lot of technique things that you can do. Because obviously, look, the tight end position, if you're going to be a true inline guy, what they ask you to do is damn near impossible, right? They ask you, you got to hold up in pass pro and run blocking like you're a left tackle. Oh, and then, by the way, you got to go run routes as good as a slot receiver. Right? That's a really diverse skill set that you have to possess. So here most tight ends are 240, 250 pounds, and they have to hold up against, like, these creatures on the edge, like Vaughn Miller, DeMarcus Ware, uh, 
those type of guys. It's not easy. But if you use proper footwork and know how to place your hands, know how to be violent and, and chop your hands, and uh, there's things that you can do to at least give yourself a chance. Yeah. You have a favorite Peyton Manning uh, story? Yeah, I do, actually. So he's always jacking with your locker, right? So what, one day I walk out of the shower, and he's standing at my locker, and he's messing with my phone. I'm like, what are you doing, man? So somehow he turns the language from my phone from English into Chinese or something like that, something like I couldn't read, and then I didn't know how to do it, so I was annoyed. So one day, to get him back, he was actually charging his iPad in my locker for whatever reason. So I take his dang iPad, and I set an alarm for, like, 2.30 in the morning, like dogs barking. like. <laughs> <laughs> And I go home, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know what? He is he's crazy about his routine, just like I am. If he really gets woken up by this alarm at 2.30, I'm going to feel bad. I'm going to feel terrible. And so I text him and let him know that I did it. But it was like it was too late. It was too late. He was already in bed or something. So he said at 2.30 in the morning, this alarm goes off, dogs barking, right? And his wife has to, like, sleepy-eyed, stumble into the closet to turn this iPad off that's barking at her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, what goes around comes around. So I guess that's one of my better Peyton Manning stories. Yeah, and, of course, the um, epilogue to that was you didn't have any targets the next weekend, did you? Oh, I know. Yeah. He reminded me that he's in control of all that. Here's another funny story, right? I would, I would catch a lot of flat routes, right? And in, you know, November, December, that setting sun at, at mile high, it's tricky sometimes to catch a pass into the sun. So then his, his, you know, best buddy Stokely, right? He, uh, I, anyways, I dropped a pass that game and I was blaming it on the sun and said, okay, okay. Kind of shaking his head, rolling his eyes at me. Anyway, Stokely goes and catches a pass, looking right into the sun, and, and he says, hey, Stokely, is it, is it impossible to catch a pass looking in the sun? He's like, okay, Joel, make sure you take notes on that. that uh, you can still catch it when looking in the sun. <laughs> so, uh, there's no excuse that's allowable, and that's okay. No, no. Hey, uh, w- with your Broncos, and it, it's been, you know, it, it's not dissimilar, I, I guess, in some ways. We were talking about Colorado State, and they, they've hit the skids and, and, and can't, you know, fully get it turned around. You see glimpses of it, certainly early in the season with the Broncos. We saw glimpses of success, albeit against teams that are struggling. Uh, Where are the Broncos and and why the length of time that this club has struggled after so many years of of being highly competitive in the NFL? Yeah, that's a tough pill to swallow. I mean, essentially, Super Bowl 50, which feels like a long, long time ago, was their last playoff appearance. And that's that's really disappointing. That's not a, a brand of football that we're accustomed to here in Denver. And there's a bunch of cliches that you could point out what the reason for, the the ownership uncertainty, right? Maybe that's it. Maybe it's the lack of, of true leadership. Like, you don't just replace a Peyton Manning-type guy, right? How, how do you replace that? So the Broncos have just been in this state of purgatory chasing their tail trying to find the answer trying to find a franchise quarterback trying to find a head coach that can somehow fill in the gaps or, or, or the ownership so i think it's really a combination of of all of those factors drew but uh it's not fun right now it's not fun to you know be hovering around 500 or below 500 and and not playing any games in january so uh it's it's a lot of things but we obviously are very hopeful it gets resolved soon
Yeah. What's your take as a, as a former player um, and somebody that that knows Von Miller, who's you know going to go down clearly as one of the all time all time Broncos, and he's he's a, you know he's a future Hall of Famer, um, wild, wildly popular, not just for what he's done on the field, but for a lot of things uh, you know off the field. What's your your take on that move? I. It was a good move for Vaughn. It was a good move for Vaughn. It was a good move for the Broncos, obviously, um, to get a couple draft picks, right? So, uh, some draft picks and, and do right by Vaughn to send him to a, a winning team who's very capable of representing the NFC in the Super Bowl this year. I, I think it was the right time for that to occur. Um, emotionally, like Vaughn was in his second year when I got to the Broncos in 2012. And so to be able to have a front row seat to watch him mature as a human being, as a pro, um, to be, hear him articulate his thoughts and words with the media over and over again, I love how the dude talks, how he operates. It was, a, it was just a real blessing to watch him grow up before our very eyes and then play amazing football in the process, like not just good football, like amazing football, like, like unblockable type stuff. Uh, it, what, what, a, what a blessing it was to have Vaughn Miller in the, in the city of Denver for 10 years. Just super thrilled to, to have watched him and been his teammate. And, you know, it's just what a great player to have. Like you said, Ring of Famer, Hall of Famer. He's a good, good man, good, good football player. Do you remember the first time you, you tried to block him when he, was, uh, when he was a puppy? Yes, it was horrible, okay? Right? So he was in a second year, and, you know, I think he was – he might have been defensive rookie of the year or would have won it if he hadn't hurt his hand or something like that. So when I come to Denver, uh, you know, I'm, like, feeling myself. I'm a pretty good blocking tight end. I'm, I'm, you know, Vaughn's not that big. I'm going to block him. The man is so powerful. Even if I won hand placement, if I would shoot my hands and I'd get him on his chest inside his hands, like, okay, got him. He was so strong, he would grab my wrists and pull them down, and then literally like he was made of – Nickelodeon slime or something. He would slither right by me and, and tackle for loss. I was, I was going through 2012 training camp. I was giving up like a sack a day. I, you know, I would cry myself to sleep at night like, Lord, please help me block this man. They're going to hate me. They're going to cut me. I'm going to be a bust. So he was, if, if you ask me who is the most unblockable man that you had to play against in the NFL, Vaughn Miller is number one. DeMarcus Ware is, you know, 1B. Those guys were my nightmares. Yeah, it's also one of the reasons uh, you guys uh, were who you were back at that uh, at that point in time. You got two edge rushers like that. That's that's a whole different uh, whole different deal. Yeah, it really is. And and you know what was great is Demarcus was drafted the same year as me, right, 2005. So he was the first round pick in 05, and he was Vaughn playing at A and M. Watched him during his time in the Cowboys. So to, uh, for DeMarcus to team up with Vaughn and just be able to mentor him and, and pour into him like that, I mean, you ask Vaughn Miller. You, you ask him what made his career so special during that time frame, and it was DeMarcus Ware pouring into him, and that's just so cool. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Joel, I'll, I'll let you fly, man. I really enjoyed the conversation, uh, you know, not only reminiscing about your days in the league, but also um, – you know, how to turn things around with Denver, how to turn things around up in, in Fort Collins, which I know uh, that school, uh, you know, your alma mater will always remain very close to you. 
Yes, sir. Hey, I thank you for including me, man. Drew, I got a lot of respect for you. Do you remember my first year here in Denver when it was me and you and Scott Hastings there for a little little one yeah. weekly episode over at the fan? No, those were fun times. So thank you for always looking out for me and being so kind to me ever since. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you, and I'm um, I'm proud of of all the Coloradans that uh, ha- have done super well and. And uh, you are certainly near the top of that list. So congrats, uh, not only in your career, but also the stuff you've done in broadcasting and now raising your, your son and your daughter. So continued success in everything, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Likewise to you. Well, big thanks again to uh, Joel Dreesen. And isn't it interesting sometimes when you hear a, a former professional athlete who's been in the league for a long time we, we talk about this during the baseball season a lot where, you know, a young hitter will come up and he's looking out on the mound and, uh, you know, there's uh, on the other side, there's Max Scherzer. And you're like, man, Max Scherzer's been around so long. I got his baseball cards and that sort of thing. And now you're in the box trying to hit against him. Well, Joel Dreesen wasn't a rookie when he first arrived in Denver or anything but. I mean, he had had solid years with Houston. Houston was the second team he was with, as you heard the story. And he was as nervous as can be. Um, not so much from a pass catching standpoint, but more from a blocking standpoint because he didn't be want, he want to be the guy that got beat and uh, ultimately gets Peyton Manning hurt. So here's his 30 year old veteran tight end, and he's nervous playing with an iconic figure uh, like Peyton Manning. But everything you've ever heard about Peyton Manning is, you know, not only funny guy and that sort of thing, but he's a uniter. And, uh, and and did everything with great humility and continues to do things with great humility. So that was a good conversation. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, a lot of work to do up in, in Fort Collins. You know, Joel kind of alluded to it. They played a great first half against Boise State and, and then, you know, can't close, close the deal. And they have Wyoming uh, this week. And, you know, I have great respect for Craig Bull and, and everything he's done up at Wyoming. We'll see how CSU uh, finishes out the slate. University of Colorado, they were outclassed uh, by Oregon. We'll have an opportunity with Oregon State uh, coming up. And uh, we'll continue to talk college football here over the next couple of weeks also as the playoff picture crystallizes. So uh, we have that on the to-do list uh, going forward. Hope you enjoyed Albert Pujols, by the way. Last week, we're going to have some more uh, interesting and compelling guests uh, moving forward. Again, a reminder to check out the DNVR guys and uh, Patrick Lyons on the DNVR Rockies broadcast. That'll do it for show number 121. As always, we appreciate you and appreciate you passing uh, the word about what we do. Take care, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week, everyone. 